In everything, give thanks. I think as we can look back, that's easier for us to do. But caught in the circumstances of life, it's hard. And I believe that these exhortations in these that we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. First Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be beginning in verse 16. And this is the closing of Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. And he's really, as I said last week, just wanting to give them great exhortation and blessing. We read through this portion. It begins in verse 12. We find that there's 23 exhortations and four blessings, at least the way I count. And there's really a lot of one-liners that he just wants them to be reminded, I believe, of some things and wants us to be reminded of these things also. So what was written to the church then is still applicable to the church today. And so we can continue to learn from it. Last week we went through 12 of the 23 exhortations. We only covered four verses. But in there, there was this breakdown of Paul urging the church to recognize those who labor among them, to recognize those who are over them in the Lord, and to recognize those who admonish them. But as we get into the context, I'd like us to pick up and we'll read from verse 16 through the chapter to verse 28, and then begin to look at these verses. Verse 16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good, Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And Lord, bless us as we look into your word now. And as you did last week, as we went through these verses of scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Lord, I feel that your hand was with us, that you blessed us through the teaching of your Holy Spirit. And we just ask that you do it again. Give us open hearts to receive from your word this day, we pray. Amen. Rejoice always. Easier said than done. In fact, 
a lot of these are, aren't they? Paul's given these one-liners to us as I look at it. And remember that as he's writing the letter, he didn't write it in chapter and verse. He just wrote a letter. And man has since broken down these things for us that we can have better scripture memorization, that we can know where the text is and go to it easily. I am disturbed by some of the newer Bibles who are changing the chapter and verses. I know they don't always end in the best place, don't always begin in the best place, but this is how I memorize Scripture. Don't change it on me. This is how I know to find it, and you know to find it too. So if I say 1 Thessalonians 5.16, you know where we're going. But this is more of a complete sentence that he runs together. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so as he continues to exhort the church there, as he continues to exhort us, he wants us to have this attitude of rejoicing always in everything. As I said, easier said than done. If circumstances in life are going well, it's easy to rejoice. If you go to the mail and open up a a card that's been sent to you and there's a check or cash in there with a lot of money, hey, you're going to rejoice. But if you go to the mail and see that it's the bill collectors again, and it's the third or fourth warning, and you're about to get in trouble, you're probably not rejoicing over that and over the circumstances that are in your life at that time. And so sometimes we can have this, oh, woe is me attitude instead of rejoicing always. Now, I believe the key to this rejoicing is getting our eyes not fixed on current circumstances, but getting our eyes fixed on the Lord and his will in our lives. And that's what Paul wrote to us here. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It caused me to think of Jacob in the Bible. You know the story of Jacob, whose name was changed by the Lord to Israel, but had the 12 boys. Now, the 12 boys, as we read through scripture, the first 11 were birthed in a seven-year time period. And so you have 11 boys who are within seven years apart of each other. Imagine that in your household. But on top of that, he had four wives. So that could complicate things in and of itself without the children. But we know that Joseph was the favorite of Jacob and daddy showed it and the other kids could not stand this boy. Not only that he was the favorite and got this special coat from his dad, but Joseph started having dreams and the interpretation of the dreams that seemed so crazy. He was the 11th son of 12, and he basically said twice, I've dreamed that I'm going to rule over all of you one day. Now, brothers love to hear that from their younger brother. As we know, it bothered them so much that when they caught him out alone, they had planned to kill him, threw him in a pit, ultimately sold him. And for the next 13 years, either a slave in Potiphar's house or in prison in Egypt, Joseph was there. I read this story and I think about the cruelty of these 10 boys. I don't think Benjamin was involved in this one. He was the youngest of the 12. And I don't think he strayed far from daddy as we read through the story. But of the 10 brothers, they had taken the coat of many colors. They had torn it. They had covered it in goat's blood. And they walked back to their father and they laid it down at his feet and said, can you identify this? Uh, we're having a problem knowing who, whose it belongs to. They knew who it belonged to and they knew that this would crush their father. And as we read through it and do the timeline, for the next 22 years, they let their dad think that Joseph was dead and torn by wild animals. For 22 years. Rejoice always, the Lord says. And then we have families who will 
hold a grudge for over 22 years. It's kind of hard to uh, rejoice in those circumstances. And Jacob, seeing this coat, said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Hey, I'm going to die mourning the loss of this son. This was his attitude. And so I don't know if he ever came out of that. And we do know that 21 years later, when the mean ruler down in Egypt required that Benjamin be brought up and that Simeon had already been taken prisoner there, Jacob responds this now 21 years later saying, you have bereaved me of Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me, he says. Rejoice always, the word tells us. But in the circumstances of life, and here it's not just a couple of weeks, it's not just six months, it's not just a year. Here we're in the story 21 years into it. And perhaps we could understand Jacob's attitude. It's in the 22nd year because we know this because Joseph tells his brothers there's five more years of the famine. In the 22nd year of their separation, Jacob finds out that Joseph is alive and that he's ruler over Egypt. Not the king, but second in command. And whatever he said, come and go, that's what happened. And so Jacob met his son after 22 years, would live another 17 before his own death, dying the age of, I believe it's 137, if I remember correctly. But after daddy's death, the brothers come to Joseph, thinking now he's just been holding out on us. He's going to get us now. He's just been playing nice to us for these last 17 years because daddy was alive, but daddy's dead. And so they went to him and said, hey, while daddy was right before he died, he said, be nice to your brothers, forgive them what they did to you, please. I don't think they were rejoicing at that time because they knew that Joseph had the power to condemn every one of them. But how did he respond with that power? And sometimes we can be in a situation where we do have the upper hand, we do have the power. And as believers, how do we respond? As you know, Joseph responded by saying this, Genesis 50, 20. But as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. God meant it for good. You meant it for evil. Now, I don't know if Joseph rejoiced always when he was in that pit crying out to his brothers and then they sold him for 20 pieces of silver and probably as he was crying out to his brothers, as he is being taken away to Egypt, when he was on a, an auction block being sold, I don't know if he was rejoicing, when he was sitting in prison wondering, what was up with those dreams I had of ruling over my brothers? And here I am in prison, not for just a few years, but ultimately as a, a slave or a prisoner for 13 years of his life. But at the end, when he could see the complete picture, when he could see the big picture, he realized, God, you were in this all the way. It helps us to rejoice when we look to Jesus for our hope, realizing that God is in control in every circumstance, even when it doesn't feel like life's in control. It feels like our life is perhaps going out of control. It helps us to rejoice. And I believe it's the only way that we can rejoice to get our focus off of the circumstances and onto the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11, the Lord said to Jeremiah, for I know my thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. The prophet Jeremiah ministered in Judah right before their fall and even as they fell into captivity. 
As we read through the story, we learn that not one person believed anything he said in his prophecies. He was cast into a miry pit to where he was somewhat waist deep. By mercy of others, he was fed bread and water when the king was willing to let him starve to death. And the Lord came to him and said, I know my thoughts, I think, toward you. And if he said this while he was in that pit, I can think Jeremiah was thinking, you got to be kidding me. Because life isn't looking too good from my perspective right now. But it's thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. And because of that, Jeremiah not only pinned the words that the Lord gave to him, but those words were read by others like Daniel. And so the hope wasn't only for Jeremiah, but it was also for those who would follow after. And it was Daniel reading Jeremiah, realizing that this captivity in Babylon was only for a set period of time for 70 years. And so Daniel reading Jeremiah had a hope also and began to pray and said, Lord, what will our future be? And the angel Gabriel came to Daniel and told him of the coming Messiah some many years later than that. And so the words that were given to Daniel, he pinned down that we can read in Daniel chapter 9, and we can learn of the coming of Jesus, which they took, they meaning Israel, and from the day that King Artaxerxes commanded that the walls to be rebuilt and restored in Jerusalem, they began to count, and they knew the day of Jesus' arrival to give you a future and a hope. God's word, not in a short burst, but in the long run of history, of our history here on this earth. God knows his thoughts that he thinks toward us. And he's working in our lives in such a way. And because of that, we can rejoice. The Lord himself said in Matthew 5, 12, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And Paul would write in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. We sing a praise song with this. And again, I say rejoice. But still, easier said than done, isn't it? We need the help of the Holy Spirit to do these things. Not only to rejoice always, but also to pray without ceasing. This word for ceasing in the Greek refers to someone who has a <coughs> hacking cough. You know, just someone who just can't stop coughing. Paul says, I want you guys to be praying like that. To where perhaps it's driving other people a little crazy because of your hacking prayers that you give forth. But that is the mindset that he has in this, to pray without ceasing, that prayer should always be on our lips, that we're uttering them forth to the Lord. I believe it's best. And I say this not saying that I'm the greatest example of a prayer warrior standing before you. But I do believe that this is best, that we would begin each day in a constructive time of prayer. Quite often, that day can begin in hecticness because we probably stayed up too late, overslept in the morning, and we need to be somewhere, hopefully at work, at a certain time, and God's not so much included in the start of our day. But I believe it's best to begin each day in a time of constructed prayer and then to pray throughout the day as the Lord leads you. I think it's healthy to join our brothers and sisters in time of corporate prayer. This Monday night, we'll have our men's prayer group, but this Wednesday, having our afterglow communion. It's a time of waiting upon the Lord with the body, and we always give opportunity for both men or women to pray what the Lord is putting on their heart. But it's very constructive for us because it helps us as brothers, as sisters, to learn how to pray for one another. Thursday night, the ladies will gather together, and we strengthen one another then in our prayers, encourage one another, pray for each other. But also to study the different prayers of the Bible on Wednesday night in 
First Chronicles chapter 4, we were looking at the prayer of Jabez and just breaking that down. But to study the different prayers that we find in Scripture, I've already mentioned Daniel, who was reading Jeremiah, but he began to pray, asking the Lord, what do these things mean? He was, had a heart to know the future and began to pray. And so we can read some of Daniel's prayer, how he fasted. And so we can learn from that. We can get books that help us in these areas. But to pray always, that a prayer is always ready to be uttered on our lips. And in everything to give thanks. In everything. Again, easier said than done, isn't it? Over the past few weeks, several of you remembered that it was this time last year that my mom went to be with Jesus. Or as Paul would say in First Thessalonians, to sleep in Jesus. And on that day, I didn't have any more remorse than I do on any other day since her passing from this life. But I can give thanks to God for the wonderful mother that he gave me. And the reason I can do this is because I have my eyes set on a future hope, knowing that both my parents claimed faith in Jesus Christ and I having that same faith, I'm going to see him again. And so in everything, I can give thanks. This is just we're in this temporary time zone that can get quite frustrating at times. But in this temporary time zone, remembering that God overall has control of our lives, Paul wants to see the church rejoicing always, praying without ceasing and giving thanks, knowing that this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. It's very healthy to do. Another Old Testament story is that of Naomi and Ruth, found in four chapters in the book of Ruth. We know the story of Naomi that surrounding it as it began, there was a famine in Israel. And they heard that there was food in Moab. And so Naomi and her husband Elimelech decided that they would take their two boys, Malon and Chilion, which their names mean sickly and piney. They probably weren't the best specimen of men that they were taking with them. But they went to Moab, Naomi, Elimelech, sickly and piney. But there they found two brides, the boys did, Orpah and Ruth. We are told is she was very beautiful, but that she was more so very virtuous. And the whole country of Israel knew this in that area that they lived when they came back. But as we know, the story is they were there. Eventually, Elimelech passed away, and so did Sickly and Piney. And we knew that was going to happen eventually just by their names. But it left Naomi with her two daughter-in-laws. And in Israel's law, there is the kinsman redeemer to where if Naomi would have another son, then the girls, well, two sons she'd have to have. They could marry them and have a son for their husband who had died to keep the family line going. But Naomi said, hey, I'm an old woman and you guys aren't going to wait around if I have a baby now anyways. So go back home. And as we know, Orpah went back home to her family. Ruth clung to Naomi. And it's from Ruth's words that we even get much of the marriage vow. Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. That there was this covenant that she made with her mother-in-law. And all the people, when they came back, saw the great love that Ruth had for her mother-in-law, Naomi. But when they saw Naomi come back, beaten down now by the years, some 10 years have went by, they said, is this not Naomi? Enjoy. Hey, Naomi's back. And she responded by saying, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Myra means bitterness. So we can see how Naomi now 
beaten down by life, very bitter by the circumstances of life. You even see somewhat more of the character of Ruth, how she was able to cling to an individual like this. Someone who's beaten down by life, well, they're not a joy to be around usually. They're usually not rejoicing always. They're usually not very prayerful people. They're not people who give thanks and everything. They can really drag you down. But Ruth was there to lift up and to help and to bring aid to her mother-in-law. And as we know, the story plays out to where Ruth finds her kinsman redeemer. There is a child who is born from the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. And now the women surround Naomi and says to her, Bless be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative or that kinsman redeemer. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons had borne him. See, the people realized that Ruth was such a quality lady that they said better than seven sons. You got to admit that this might be a little cruel and a parent wouldn't want to hear it, but that Ruth is much better off in sickly and piney. You know, she's so much better for you. The boys, you always had to take care of them. She's always taking care of you. In everything, give thanks. She just couldn't see the big picture. And as we know, as that picture expanded, that Obed became the father, ultimately, grandfather of Jesse, to which would be the father of David, which would be the king of Israel. That God was playing out just not in this individual's life, but in the whole nation of Israel. And in our lives, too, because from David comes our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. In everything, give thanks. I think as we can look back, that's easier for us to do. But caught in the circumstances of life, it's hard. And I believe that these exhortations in these, that we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, and the exhortation number 16 is to not quench the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And this word for quench is to take water and to throw it on a fire. So don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't get the fire extinguisher out and try to put the fire of the Spirit out in your life. And so often we do that. And the Holy Spirit is so often in Scripture identified with fire. And John the Baptist said that when Jesus would come, he would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we know that when the church was birthed there in Acts chapter 2, it was that of clothing tongues and fire came down and descended upon them as the Spirit was descending upon them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Revelation 4, 5, it speaks about the seven lamps of the Spirit. And then it, for comparison, we can go to Isaiah eleven two and read the seven distinctives describing the Holy Spirit to us. But don't quench the Spirit's fire in his life or in your life is what Paul is saying to us. And so often it's easy for us to do that, but to realize that it's the Holy Spirit who, who calls us and draws us to the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit who baptizes us and seals us unto the day of salvation and then fills us with himself. He is he who communicates to us, who teaches us, who guides us in this life. He helps us in our weaknesses. He intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. Paul tells us the Spirit is there making intercession for us. And he brings comfort into our lives. There's so many things that the Spirit does for us. But Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. And I believe by not quenching the Spirit, we can learn to rejoice and to pray and to give thanks as we should. And Father, we pray that your grace would be upon us. Thank you for your word.
may continue to penetrate our hearts. May we take, Lord, these exhortations that we've received today and and combined with everything that we've studied these last two weeks, Lord, may the truth of your word penetrate our heart. May we be a people, Lord, that learns to rejoice always. May we be a people, Lord, that knows how to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in everything. Be a people, Lord, that don't quench your spirit and a people that doesn't despise prophecies, but we know how to hold on to that which is good, to test these things, to abstain from evil. Lord, we thank you that it is you who sanctifies us wholly, our whole spirit, soul, and body, and that we will one day stand blameless before you because of everything that you have done for us, and that, Lord, you will see it through, that you are faithful, Lord. Thank you for these lovely words. May we be a church that prays for one another, that knows how to give a holy hug to our brothers and sisters, not in sensuality, but in holiness, that it's the love of Christ that's sharing forth. That we'd be a church, Lord, that loves your word so much that we take it and read it and want to share it with others, knowing, Lord, that it's by your grace that we even stand here this day. And in these things, Lord, we give thanks and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. And let God...